welcome to another episode of the Art Salon Podcast. I'm your host, Nico Bejarano. Before we get going, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share our talks with your friends. Follow us on Instagram at the Art Salon to keep up with our upcoming guests and other announcements. And finally, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast platform. It helps direct others to the show and makes us feel good about what we're doing. Today, I'm pleased to share this conversation with a few people. It includes international conductor Ryan Bancroft and trumpeters Ed Carroll, Dave Bilger, Bailey Powell, and Dovas Lietuvninkas. The main purpose of this chat is to discuss the Chosenville International Trumpet Seminar, the world's premier trumpet seminar. If you do not know everyone in this talk, I really encourage you to look at their bios. They will be linked to the episode. And it might be a little confusing to know who's talking, so pay attention to each voice as they introduce themselves early in the conversation. I attended Chosen Vale several times from 2011 to 2016, and I consider it a more formative place in my artistic education than my undergrad or master's degree. Many things make Chosen Vale different than any seminar or college, but three things stand out to me. Number one, there is a spirit of openness to new ideas and repertoire unlike any I've ever seen. Number two, the participants all elevate the trumpet to an artistic sphere it rarely enjoys in brass circles. And number three, the faculty and students interact all day, opening endless discussions and conversations that would be impossible in a merely academic setting. What we attempted to do in this conversation was capture that open conversation that you can experience at a place like Chosenville. Whether you have never attended Chosenville, or you're a longtime attendee, or you're not even a trumpet player, I think you will find something in this conversation to make you think about our industry, music making, and many other subjects that we visit during this talk. I hope you enjoy this, and hail, hail, Chosenville. Uh, we're here to kind of pump up Chosen Veil, uh, which has, I think, part, played a part in all of our lives at different points. I think uh, I'm meeting a couple of you for the first time, so hi. Uh, and I guess I'll do a quick, or let's just go through quickly to say who's in this call. Um, so, Ed, why don't we start with you, since, you know, it, it Chosen Veil incarnate. Yeah, okay. I'm Edward Carroll, Ed. I won't use names anymore. And, um, yeah, I was the founder of this thing all the way back at Lake Placid and the Lake Placid Institute, which then morphed into Chosen Vale. And, and I have to say, I, I, I didn't have a plan going into this. I think um, it just became what it did because we let it become what it did become. Um, instead of forcing, you know, we have applicants every year that say, you know, what will I play? What should I be preparing? And I said, no, 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 bring your repertoire and we don't know what you're going to be playing. Um, but hold on to your hats because it's a rather powerful, um, environment not only because of the faculty, but because of all of you that participate in the course. And it's sort of morphed into what it is, the modern, most modern iteration of, of Chosen Vale. Now it just sort of came to be. Yeah. All right. And then we have also Dave Bilger. Dave, I think people will know who you are, but maybe 
you can say a little bit like how you ended up at Chosenvale and, and your relationship with Ed. Yeah, I've known Ed for um, over 40 years, sort of <clears throat> hard to believe. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Ed, Ed was always uh, this amazing musician. I was young and, and um, impressionable when I first met Ed. He took me out on the road and um, just showed me what you could do in a concert that I didn't, don't think I've ever had experienced before as a, um, as a student and a young professional, like what, where you could take things, you know, oftentimes trumpet playing is where music goes to die. And, um, Chosen Vale is where it actually lives. <laughs> um, and that's, uh, I think, because of Ed's um, vision. He claims he had a lack of vision for where this would end up, but it's always about finding where, where the music is in whatever repertoire we choose to play. Um, so I think of it, you know, a little bit as, uh, as the anti-NTC. You'll hear pieces that, um, that aren't pops music and that aren't the same old five tunes that everybody everybody plays uh, you hear amazing repertoire played by some really very very accomplished and interesting um, participants and then the faculty is just awesome ed had asked me i don't know how many times ed like uh, 10 times to come well, <laughs> join in, the faculty maybe least, maybe fewer but at least three or four and i think um you ran out of limbs to damage yeah, I mean, the last one I said no to, I was going to come and then, you know, like busted an Achilles and I just didn't want to, you know, like travel in, <laughs> in a knee scooter. It's just not a good look. So, um, you know, but that's uh, that's how I came to, to CV is, is because Ed's been telling me about it so uh, for so long. And I went last summer and he's uh, he was 100 percent right. It was uh, invigorating. And uh, one of my students from Northwestern who was there was like, he's like, this just changed my life. It's like. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the idea. Thank you, Dave. And uh, another person whose life was musically ruined by Edward Carroll, uh, Ryan Bancroft. Uh, <laughs> uh, another person will be need a little introduction, but you know, Ryan, tell us tell us what you're doing these days. Of course, I met you as a trumpet player at Chosen Vale, and you'll be returning for the first time as faculty this year, which will be pretty interesting. But that's not what you've been doing for the last better part of a decade. No, um, I, um, I still think of myself as a trumpet player very much. So it's, it's, it's really strange. I, it's a, it's a big honor to be asked to be on faculty. And I, I guess the sort of conflict that I have in my head is every year I've told myself, oh, maybe I should just apply one more time just to, just to get one more go. You won't at get it. in, you won't get into the corner. They won't take I know your application. Um, <laughs> But I'm a, I'm a three-time chosen veiler. I am a student of Ed's, 17 years now. Um, but I, I conduct now primarily. I most of my life is now living over in Europe. But I'm mostly on the road, waving my arms about, working with a lot of lovely people, and um, I'm super happy to be able to come back to a place that taught me probably more about music than most things in my life. So yeah. For me, I'm just super excited. Amazing. Ryan, thank you. And then we have uh, Bailey, a new person for me. Hi, nice to meet you. Hey, nice to meet you too. Yeah, I'm freelancing and teaching based in Burlington, Vermont, um, and trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life post my first Chosen Vale, actually. Um, last summer was the first time that I went to Chosen Vale, and I knew it was going to be cool, but I had no idea just how utterly life-changing the experience was going to be and how it was going to 
open up new directions that I didn't even really know existed for me and for things that I wanted to do. So it's a real pleasure to be here with you all talking about this amazing experience that we've all shared. And we hope everyone else will also be able to come and share. Amazing. Finally, Dovas. Hi. Um, yeah. Hi. Uh, thanks for thanks for having me so much, Nico. Um, like I said before, uh, longtime fan of, of the show, you know, uh, I say a long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, Thanks, Mom. Yeah. But, and uh, honestly, um, Bailey, you know, said pretty much exactly what I want to say. We could, I could mirror that word for word, um, except for that I'm based in Providence, uh, Rhode Island, but same thing, um, freelancing and teaching um, and trying to figure out what to do with my life post the Chosen Vale epiphany that uh, I had last year. And my first chosen veil, um, and so in the first few days there, I already knew that uh, I was going to be coming back. So I'm very happy to have already, you know, blocked out months ago. You know, those two weeks at the end of June, I'll be coming back this year, and it, I can say with certainty that it's you know it's not going to stop at two. Um, so it's yeah, it's an absolutely wonderful uh, and and kind of mind-blowing experience that I wasn't aware was uh, possible uh, to have with that many tr trumpet players around. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. I, I, I just, so I think one, I'll just throw this question out for everyone uh, and you can answer whatever order you want or like the, we can just start a conversation. Everyone has said that it's a mind-blowing experience and that it's very different from other seminars. I've also heard it described as like, the best kept secret, which really frustrates me because I can't wait for us to sell out uh, and, you know, be mainstream. <laughs> but, but I just want to let, let's, let's do that as a prompt. Like, what is it that, that has made Chosen Veil such an, imp like made such an impression for everyone uh, in, in what clearly are very different parts of people's careers? I mean, both as faculty or like a few years removed, like Brian and I are quite a few years removed. Uh, or people that are still discovering it for the first time. Like, what is the, what are the things that stand out that seem, you, you all said, it, like, it's new and different. Why? I think for myself personally, I, I come from a pretty um, particular background growing up in Los Angeles. And a, a, I grew up never thinking that I was really going to go anywhere that much. I, I thought I was going to be staying in California for the rest of my life, um, which is not a bad life, obviously. Um, and when I went to CalArts as a student and was exposed to Chosenvale and what this was, when I went to Chosenvale, it was one of the first times that I was exposed to so many different people from so many different cultures around the world who just so happened to be just as passionate about trumpet and more importantly, music. So for me to hear all of this different wacky music and incredible um, musicianship and, and learning different languages while I was there as well too, all whilst everyone practicing their butts off. It was, it was really motivating for me in particular. Um, and also to be able to, you know, most evenings sit in on a class and watch people sort of overcome their own difficulties and be inspired even more in the music that they were making. It's just, 
it, it was one of the most invigorating things I've ever done in my life. And in a funny way, I know it's two weeks, but it every time I did it, it felt too short. It felt like, oh, we could do this for a little bit longer. Maybe if we had one more week, we could keep going. Um, yeah, so, so for me, it's just pure inspiration. And there's no wonder I went back three times. It was just, it was perfect for me, really. I think it's the hang, actually. Mm -hmm. I, it, because <clears throat> it's the hang. It's, it's um, the fact that in the mornings, uh, you know, you have uh, um, classes going on in four different rooms and, and the participants can go be, you know, go between different points of view like that. Choose where they want to be, choose who they want to play for, um, and come across different people in small groups um, without it being like mandatory or I have to have to go and listen to this today or I'm going to be with so-and-so. It's, it's just, wow, I can go and do this. And then, um, you know, in the evening you go and you listen to master classes where, where you hear people playing rep that you may not know. I mean, it's not the usual crap. And, um, and you get coached by, by some really fascinating people with different points of view than your own. I mean, I sat there in those classes and I was just taking notes in my brain, just going, well, I hadn't thought of it that way. That's really cool. And um, just the exposure to other faculty and what, what the students are bringing is cool. And then it's the hang after that um, or after concert, after master classes where we're all in, um, you know, just in the, uh, <laughs> the big cafeteria lunchroom um, maybe having an adult beverage for those who are over 21. And, and you know, the stories flow and the questions happen and it's not like asking a question in a master class. It's like hanging out with friends and seeing where conversation goes. And you know, I don't know any place that really does that. Um, it's, it's awesome. And, and what you know, no one said yet is how comfortable the beds are and how, how <laughs> posh the accommodations are. I mean, where else can you get that but it, the Shaker Museum? I, I just so. have to say Mark Gould once called it uh, Shaker Disneyland, the fact that they had a seesaw. So that, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, and, and also to your point about hanging out, I also want to point out, Ryan, you remember, you're a great source because you remember this better than all of us on account of the fact that you don't drink. But for me, the memories are more hazy. So, you know, thank you. I'm glad you're here. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and, you know, I, have, I haven't been in a couple of years, but maybe I would like to hear from uh, the two of you that have been there more recently. Does it still feel that way? I mean, that's definitely how Ryan and I remember it. I know Dave was there recently, so in some ways he already answered that question. But um, how do you guys feel about it? Yeah, actually, and I was just about to piggyback on, on what David was saying, uh, that um, honestly, the whole two weeks feels like one big, you know, hang, you know, capital H, because we're, we're all you know, living together, you're, you know, you're sharing a room with, with uh, somebody, you're eating together, we're helping clean up together, you're, you know, we take shifts in the, in the kitchen afterwards, cleaning uh, tables, uh, washing dishes. And so it's this, such this, this feeling of camaraderie, morning, noon and night, um, that is, is unlike anything else uh, I've, I've ever experienced. And again, I think the running theme is that in particular with you know, trumpet players where there isn't this constant, you know, ego battle and all this stuff, because we're all, we're all there together for the same reasons to, to learn, to be inspired. Um, and so there's not this, you know, you'd think you have 40 trumpet players in one building, essentially for, for two weeks, you'd think there'd be some, you know, 
you know, cataclysmic, you know, uh, eruptions going on, but it's, it's quite the opposite. I think it's because of that environment, because we're all there, you know, in, in such a, uh, you know, nurturing and supportive and, and mutually inspiring um, environment that just, you know, fosters that camaraderie and, and, and friendship. Yeah, and that camaraderie and friendship and that togetherness both builds community and also creates the intense feeling of immersion that you get for that two weeks, right? You're just with all these people, as Dovas and Dave were saying, all the time. You're talking about art and trumpet and music all the time, but it doesn't feel like too much. It feels like just the right amount, you know, or maybe not even quite enough. And you're always hearing all these cool other sounds that these people are making that you're like, wow, how do I do that? And they're like, oh, let me show you, right? And it's very cool to then just be there doing all of these things together and figuring it all out together. And everyone is so curious. And to really spend two weeks immersed in that curiosity mindset is really, really refreshing and energizing. Yeah, I mean, since you're the architect of the Matrix, Ed, how did you make this? How did you make this happen? Hey, oh, I don't know. Tom Stevens made it happen. Um, <laughs> I want to piggyback on um, comments that you both made, Dovas, just now, and Bailey. Something that you said before, when you're saying that you were came to us the first time, kind of wondering what you were going to do. Uh, Bailey just finished the very uh, rigorous and famous uh, DMA program at Eastman, um, a difficult one to make it through comps, let alone the rest of it, and, and emerge as a creative person. And, and Dovas spent the year before with the Concertgebouw Orchestra. And so, you know, these are people that are, you know, advanced in their careers, but they're still looking for the next puzzle piece and how to construct, you know, a, a creative life, not just a life that you find commerce in or whatever. And, and for me, this is the place because every single person on the course is asking themselves that same question. I know where I am today, but what's coming next? And too often, at least in my opinion, um, they're being told what to do next. And here, uh, it's more or less giving permission to do whatever you choose to do next and put it together yourself instead of be looking for, you know, to get answers from the internet. Oh my God. We know how difficult and unsuccessful that is. Um, but spending that time together and hanging out with each other and sometimes being smashed with each other in the evenings and sometimes, you know, really dealing with personal crises together and, you know, triumphs and experiencing hearing a whole lot of new music at the same time. I'll, I'll go back to one faculty. Um, and we had a very interesting dynamic with one of our faculty members. 
Um, I heard him in a rehearsal the other day. It was Tom Hooten. And Tom came to us for the first time. And Tom, of course, is a wonderful trumpeter. Um, And he was sitting with me in the audience, often riveted in the performances because he hadn't heard any of that music. Now, that's not to say we only do new music there, but there is a lot of new music. And, you know, turning to me and, and, and saying, I've never heard this piece in my life before. Marco Blau was playing... Um, Pieta. Uh, Pieta, right. You know, a, a brilliant performance. And he had never heard this before. And so suddenly faculty member becomes student. And faculty member is now growing as a musical personality, as well as all the participants. And certainly, from my own perspective, of course, I grow musically. I I steal unabashedly from all of our faculties, going all the way back to 96 in Lake Placid, and stealing little ideas from them, and um, incorporating those ideas into my current teaching um, and then going back to an idea that, you know, maybe Dave presented last last week or Ryan will present, and that'll all become part of who I am. So like any great cult, you just did it for yourself. Right. I, I understand. <laughs> no, but I, they, I, don't, they don't serve Kool-Aid. <laughs> well, not that kind. They, it, 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 you can't afford it with, with, the, with the margins. Uh, but, you know, the, the, I will say one other thing that uh, maybe we should talk about. It's it's hard for me to say because I don't see it as a nasty part of it. But we do like Chesapeake has a reputation of being this new music course. But I, I think maybe the one interesting thing that you brought up is despite that, first of all, not everyone's playing new music, which, again, I'm not passing judgment on. But the other part is the the type of people that come are having careers in very standard places. They're just very curious people. And so I also think that this is an interesting seminar because out of all the places I went to school or the places where I've made connections, Chosenvale is the one where I can pinpoint to people actually being in jobs. And they were in jobs when they were there. And then they moved, some of them were not, but now they are. I mean, I I think most of the trumpet players I know that are in in highly important jobs I met at Chosenvale. And so it's interesting that even though people kind of avoid it because it's like, well, I just want to land a job in the Berlin Phil, uh, ironically, probably a member of the Berlin Phil, well, maybe not the Berlin Phil, but other places has come to Chosenvale. Uh, and that's an interesting play- thing. Yeah, there have been people that have played it in the Berlin Phil at Chosenvale. I'm thinking of Mario. Oh, Mario's there. killing it in all over Germany. Yeah, exactly. And we met him when he was, what, like 18? I remember he was like the exactly. little kid for us. Exactly. And and I think, I don't know what, what was so, I mean, when I, when I first started as a trumpet player, I was, I was really only interested in playing Haydn, Hummel and Mozart. And that was it. That's, that's, that's all I wanted to do. And it took my father telling me, you need to open your damn mind. <laughs> um, and I just remember um, going to Chosenville, the thing that was most like just abundantly obvious, if I'm talking specifically about the music, it was just that it was a very good music seminar. There was so much different music happening. I heard all the excerpts. I heard all the famous, wonderful 
trumpet music that we all know and love as well too but there was so much other stuff that i heard as well too and it was all on an even playing field that that was what was so amazing about it if you wanted to go and work on say the Haydn trumpet concerto you can guarantee that you would get wonderful tutelage on it and also be able to discuss with your friends and hang out with it and figure out how other people do things but you could also do other things as well um it's funny this reputation of new music i think that's in many ways a great reputation because all that means is a lot of stuff is being represented there and a lot of expertise is being represented there and i'm not even talking just from the faculty but from the people that are simply there bringing in music that people have not heard which is just you know incredible that's one of the most fun parts honestly well ed when you're when you're putting together from all you know you have 40 participants and and everyone submits rap i mean how many times do you have to tell somebody no we can't do that because someone else is doing it because it's some of the same old same old i think in a certain way the curation of that um of, of the repertoire that people bring does encourage folks to sort of stretch out from doing the same 10 pieces that are on every university recently. well yeah at the beginning uh, when when we're now we have the people that are coming and we determine um what they're going to play in master class i ask everyone to um nominate three four or five pieces from their own repertoire um, because I don't want to hear the same piece twice in in master class. What's what's the purpose of that? Right there, there is none. That's right, and exactly. and so, and it's difficult because of course many people gravitate to the same old, same old, and you know there'll be well, it's comfortable. Yeah, of course, and but you know th there'll be ten people that nominate the Haydn and Hummel, the Hindemith, you know, the core repertoire. Um, but, you know, only one person is going to play the Haydn, the Hummel, the Hindemith, etc. Um, and so they have to go deeper into their list. And then there's a point of self-examination that goes on with that. Do they have a repertoire? Do they, or can they develop something between that point and the course that they could, you know, call their own? And then we try. Well, and that's, I think that's super important for the younger players who, who come because maybe they haven't been exposed to too much stuff and they have to think a little bit for themselves and maybe get out some recordings and, and explore what the repertoire is beyond what they've been assigned in, um, you know, by their, their current teacher. I mean, in that first week uh, last summer that, that I was there, um, I think I only heard one really terrible piece of music. It happened to be somebody played it in my my class and I, I gave him a hard time about it um <clears throat> but but there was so much other repertoire that was there you know on the fringes of standard or you know some of it's standard and played well and some some of it standard and could use a little help but um everybody gets to experience such a um so many different courses to the meal it's not just you know it's not just um yeah, meat and potatoes. It's it's all sorts of great flavors coming from so many different people. Dave, I remember one course. I it was probably yeah, it was definitely pre-pandemic. Um, but which year it was, I'm not sure. But that year, between all the people playing in master class and all of the ensemble pieces that we played together and the pieces we 
had on the new and unusual concerts, which is also a feature of this. And all the pieces, we heard 94 different pieces over two weeks. Now, some of them are miniatures. They're not 94 full-blown sonatas, um, but we did hear 94 separate pieces for solo trumpet, and I, I just thought that was fabulous. Um, well, and, and like uh, last summer, Davos played uh, the Haas, I Can't Breathe. Oh, my gosh, that was just absolutely stunning. I mean, it's, it's a memory I'm going to take, take away because how often do you hear that repertoire played live but with such commitment and passion? I mean, it was just like it's eye-opening to be in the audience for something like that. And also the Weinberg Concerto, and Bailey played I, uh, um, uh, Exposed Throat, exposed throat. <laughs> um, yeah. something that we hadn't heard in a few years, and even brought her own platform to do the, you know, the stomping on, which I thought was really great. She was only coming to us from Burlington, Vermont, but still she had to construct this thing and put it in a car and bring it, and it's great. <laughs> And yeah, right here behind me, actually. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm sure Hokan was very excited because I remember it being in a master class where Sam Jones was scolded for not bringing a platform. Uh, <laughs> but but you know, I, I think an interesting part of this repertoire thing is also I, I think I had very formative experiences there as well in seeing that much repertoire, and like you said, it like this introspection of what do you actually want to do and, and what actually motivates you? I remember I one of the first times I came to Chosen Vale, Peter Evans was there and I played, uh, you know, a whatever Persichetti parable, which is a whatever piece. And Peter didn't have a lot to say and I was very disappointed and whatever. But, you know, we, we kept talking with Peter and Peter said something to me that stayed with me forever, which was like, have you ever just considered that there's just not that much in that piece? to say, to explore, to talk about, to dive into. And even that, it, moments like that are immense because it's not just like, great, I went out and I played a Heinen concerto and I was told I have a good tone. And then we worked on uh, buzzing and, and singing and now I sound better and he really made me sound great. It was a way deeper thing that really uh, kind of fucks with you. It was like, oh, okay. I do want to play serious music. What does that mean for my instrument? I can't really reach into the Beethoven piano concerto. What does it mean for a trumpet player? And well, that... Nico, and it means different things to different people, which is exactly what, what, what's really great to have forty different people there. No, and and, and but but exactly. But I, I mean, like this. For me, it's not just about hearing the different pieces. It's also about the type of discussions that would happen there. At least when I was there, I mean, having time to hang out with. Tom Stevens, when I was there, was like, I, I don't think I'll ever, uh, I'll, I'll never recover, you know? <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and that's the thing that I've never felt at any other place. It's probably the reason that this podcast exists, is, is Chosen Vale. And not just because of the context I made there, but because of something that I always yearned for that that place gave me, that no other institution did, which is that openness of discussion of, of things that, if you bring up elsewhere, it can be a bad thing even for your career. I mean, if, if I, there's certain pieces that get played where like, if you ask, well, why did that even get programmed? It's a bad thing to say. It's like, well, you know, anyway, so th that's from my perspective, also like what that place is so special about. It's a... And then if I could 
once again dive in and then I'll zip it, I promise you. But um, speaking of Tom Stevens, um, those of us that know him, knew him very well, and maybe some people hearing this podcast um, that knew him really well know that Tom is a very complex person. Um, he was very, very private and didn't sh share his thoughts easily. Um, not always comfortable in s social settings. Um, and yet he came back to, to Chosenvale each year and even made a few of his videos using our participants there um, because he could do it there and he loved the responsiveness of of the course and um, yeah he was comfortable there the first time I invited Tom to the faculty it was back in Lake Placid it was 1996 and he was actually the first person I called and he turned me down within three seconds uh, he said no I don't do that sort of thing um, okay Tom well be well, and that's fine. And then I started putting together the faculty, which oddly, for a trumpet faculty, included my friend Bob Brookmeyer. Now, Bob Brookmeyer is, uh, was, passed away a few years ago, but was a world-renowned jazz musician, valve trombonist, composer. Um, was the artistic director of the Monday Night Bands, the Thad Jones, Mel Lewis Bands, all this time, and a consummate musician, this guy. And I just thought, yeah, he'll have things that he could add to this class. And then all of a sudden, I got a call from Tom Stevens, unsolicited call from Tom saying, oh, I see Brookmeyer's going to be there, and I see a couple other people are going to be there. Um is there still a spot for me? And I said, yeah. And he said, okay, I'd like to come. And he was sold on it. And every class until he passed away, I think it's five years ago, mm -hmm. um, every class at Chosenvale, he would be there. And he had, he had retired from the Los Angeles Philharmonic. Um, and so even though he was trying to practice he was trying to practice, you know, to play at the bar at his corner and, you know, to do this. He wasn't out performing on any close, anything close to the level that he was performing with before, but he would practice for Chosen Vale and he would bring his playing and he sounded good at Chosen Vale and, you know, everything he was so giving there. Um, he was the one that said, you know, we learn more in the kitchen after the master class is over. We learn more in the kitchen with a beer in our hands than in some of our presentations. And there was a famous quote, and I, I, I don't like mentioning names with these things um, of the living, but um, one of our friends, Andy Lott, um, made the comment publicly, and it was, I think it was even published in the ITG journal um, after Tom uh, retired vis-a-vis -vis Chosenvale. Um, 
he said, the students all come to Chosenvale because of the faculty that's there, but the faculty would come because Tom Stevens was there and how much we all took from him because he gave it to us unabashedly. And that wasn't uh, always the case in his later part of his career. Yeah. Yeah. I guess let's see. I I had a, a, a this is a good leading question I had because again we're all in different parts of this, uh, especially you, Dave. Now with Northwestern, and you know that's a whole new adventure for you. Like, who who is the target? Not always student, but who's the target musician that will want that will benefit from Chosen Veil? And no cheating. The answer can't be everyone, because I can see some people that would hate it. So who who is the person who who are the people that that get the most out of this? Well, folks who are um, who are open to wanting to grow and wanting to listen and wanting to learn and wanting to ex expand who they are. Uh, yes, you're right. I mean, I I know some students who um, who shouldn't come, you know, right? Because all they want to do is play the same five excerpts that are on the prelim for every audition and. They would grow from coming to Chosen Vale, but they don't have an interest in learning more about themselves or about the repertoire or about what's possible. So, you know, sure, some of those folks, but, but people who want to know more than they know right now and think differently. Um, you know, we're, in, we're in, a, um, in a dangerous time in our country. I don't want to talk politics, but we can talk about polarization perhaps, which is the fact that everyone... You know, we have so many people who view the world in black and white, and it isn't. It's it's endless shades of gray, and there are more shades of gray at Chosen Vale than anywhere else. Right? You can experience um, people in repertoire in ways that that show you that the way you think isn't wrong, but there maybe there's a better way or a different way, or I can think about this. It, it synthesizes in two weeks what I experienced working with some of the great conductors in the world, which was the fact that even a piece like Beethoven 7 is different if you have someone at the helm who has a different idea about it or can bring something out in the score that others haven't seen or don't want to see. And uh, I think that, to me, that it's that, that's what's so exciting about the whole thing is the fact that, you know, you're in a place where you're going to, it's going to challenge your preconceptions and make you not say, well, I do this this way because it's always done that way. Well, says who and why, you know? And, and that's, uh, you know, it's something that having spent good deal of time with Mark Gould <laughs> has gotten me to to think in a different way and to challenge like the why you know um, and maybe Mark goes um, you know off in a, in a direction that is like just wanting to be contrarian to be contrarian maybe that's not always the healthiest thing but it's more healthy than it is to just play it the way someone else has told you to play it or the way it was recorded by so-and-so you know I love listening to old Maurice Andre recordings, especially Baroque music, but no one plays Baroque music like that anymore. It's really fun to listen to, but it's not, you know, we, we have a different point of view now based on historical um, enlightenment that, that's come since, uh, you know, since the uh, early instruments craze in the 80s. Well, you apply that over to creativity and new music or even, you know, repertoire that's um, perhaps 
standard and a little jaded. Oh my gosh, I, you know, I want to, I want to think about it a different way. I want to learn a different way. It's the people who, who think that way that, that want to expand who they are and how they view the world that are, are just perfect to, to be participants at Chosen Vale. Um, to, to piggyback off of that, <clears throat> um, I think, uh, the exact type of, of trumpet player, uh, who would, uh, benefit the most and who adds the most to Chosen Vale is actually kind of, you know, not so much a trumpet player at all, actually. And um, kind of thinking about, um, uh, I was meeting up with, a, with an old uh, friend who we were at Eastman together, and he gave me one of my most kind of treasured compliments I've ever received. We're, we were talking about our time at Eastman together, and he's like, you know what, I never really thought of you as a, as a trumpet player. You, you were a musician who happened to play the trumpet. And that, you know, that's exactly how I try to approach music and i think that's exactly how most people who come to chosen veil or or would be good chosen veilers do that same thing we are not trumpet players we're not trumpeters we are musicians who speak through this you know particular length of tubing um and and actually so uh, and, and nico i've i've i wouldn't listening to your uh, uh interview with with nate woolley um i've i've he he says it's so uh, in such a great way and and i've kind of taken that into into my uh, ethos as, as as a teacher as well he said not only is it you know oh first we're musicians and then we're trumpet players first of all we are human beings then we are musicians and only then are we trumpet players um and so that's i think that kind of also can really encapsulate the um the, the chosen veil you know kind of you know philosophy if we want to call it that um and those type of people i think we those, those types of players and students and faculty who, like I said, both uh, receive and give the most to Chosenville are those who are musicians who happen to play the trumpet and not, not the other way around. And in Ryan's case, the flute and the harp and the clarinet and yeah. <laughs> the bagpipes. Not anymore. <laughs> and our repertoire is evolving. Now let's go back to the orchestral question again the five excerpts the standard excerpts those are evolving um ryan how many pieces are you conducting with the royal stockholm or the bbc uh welsh or um even the, the symphonietta uh how many pieces are you seeing now that you know, are incorporating extended techniques more than just playing the notes right up the middle in tune, so-called. It's it's constant, um, and and I would say for uh, for myself and in, in just in whatever experience I have, um, based off of when I was playing trumpet, primarily about. Um, 15 years ago or so um i i remember doing concerts with this type of music on it and always having conversations with people um always having conversations with people about extended technique and different tuning systems and um oh how did you learn how to do that how is that a thing and and for me thinking well i'm really lucky in the place that i am that i'm being able to learn that stuff However, nowadays I'm finding I'm I'm not even having to really tune microtonal chords so much anymore. Um, 
sections kind of know how to do it now. People have not just figured it out, but it's it's become such a part of the lexicon. Um, and, you know, in the orchestral world, time is money. You you have a certain amount of time to, um, to create and make music and get things to an excellent standard. Um, music gets more and more complex and diverse as time goes on, which means we need to adapt quickly as well, too. Um, I was conducting a concert this last week that had um, microtones everywhere in the piece. Um, I think we stopped once to fix an F sharp quarter sharp um, to make sure that the second oboe and the first violins were matching together. Um, but other other than that, it's just such a part of the world. And on the same program, there'll be a Beethoven symphony. So you'll you'll have to be able to switch um, quite quickly. And thankfully, I'm finding a lot more enthusiasm uh, with all of this, actually. I'm finding um, a lot more people coming to this music with a curious standpoint. Um, and better yet, even loving the music immediately. Um, whereas maybe, maybe in the past it was a bit more challenging, but nowadays I'm finding you, you, your musical luggage has to be a little bit bigger. Otherwise you might bump into some small problems along the way. But, um, thankfully I'm finding that not to be a huge problem anymore. Yeah. Um, Sonia made the point last summer um, that the composers like Rebecca Saunders that are being, you know, commissioned by the European orchestras, um, trumpet player is going to play a split tone. That's just the way it is, and, and perhaps multiple split tones. And so, you know, that has now become part of the lexicon um, yeah. and something that might turn up on an audition. Now, never did for me, probably Dave. It never did for you. I, I don't see it in American orchestra yeah, uh, audition not. lists yet. I mean, I, the the only diversity that's showing up now is um, tipping a hat um, in the post-Floyd and post-Me Too and post-pandemic era, where we're finally having more diversity in repertoire. But as far as the audition stuff, it, it you'll you'll have a piece that's been put on where where. They may or may not even ask it, but it's it's in, in an effort to to show diversity, which is a step in the right direction, but not not so much there. I think um, one of the impediments in American orchestras is the fact when when I was back when I was in the orchestra, um, we often had five rehearsals, three concerts, or four and four. And now it's becoming three rehearsals or two. And how can you work up anything? I mean, even a Beethoven symphony decently in, in two or three rehearsals. I mean, you know, for God's sake, we did a recording of Petrushka with Yannick that <laughs> never got released, um, where we had two rehearsals. We had a rehearsal on a dress. Of course it wasn't good enough. I'm sorry, it wasn't. I mean, we just didn't have enough time for it to marinate. And that's standard rep. I mean, it's Stravinsky. We all know that stuff. It's old music by this time. It's over 100 years old. Um, but new, newer stuff with extended techniques is going to require, it's going to require some um, institutional commitment to wanting to spend the time and resources to, to do that. So 
some orchestras are more experimental, experimental than others. Um, what I'm find, what I have been experiencing is that the experimentation comes with composers who write in a, in a manner that is um, more standard notation because it's simply easier to put together. And this may be very different in Europe where there um, is uh, you know, more diversity, uh, actually a higher, uh, higher level of musicianship often than there is in the States. I hate to, I hate to even say that, but in my opinion, it's true. Um, uh, and I'm not saying that the players are, are better players. I mean, the, the physical accomplishments of players in the U.S. is amazing. Orchestras are, they're, they're machines. It's, it's, it's terrific. But, you know, the deep down musicianship is, is um, uh, I, I don't think we're necessarily leaders in that anymore, especially in the trumpet world. Um, and um, Chosen Vale would be a great place for people who want to sort of reassert that in um, Amer American players to get your brain a little wider so you're thinking about music in a different way. But um, I, I just, I don't see American orchestras um, moving so quickly, but Gould once said the orchestra is a dinosaur and hopefully, you know, it won't go extinct, but uh, the evolution is a really slow process in, in the American orchestra. I hate to be a downer with that, but you know, and, and Ryan, I'm really glad that you're sense you're seeing with the places in which you're working that that people have that skill set, and, and I demand of my my current batch of players that they understand extended techniques. We do unaccompanied pieces where, you know, yeah. I, I just had gave somebody a score to Wild Winged One, and it's like, well, well, how do I play? How do I play the whistle? It's like, well, you're gonna find out, aren't you? But um. Or how do I make sense of this score? Uh, well, right, that's why we're looking at it. And that skill set is ever increasing and the demand for that is, 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 is increasing. And obviously, if you wanna be marketable, um, the more you're able to do, the more marketable you're gonna be. I know that sounds uh, crass because we're talking about like making a living, but we all have to do that. If you wanna play great music with great people, you know, maybe some of that is going to include some things that do have, that is avant-garde and has extended techniques and you have to be able to hear it before you can do it and you have to understand what it's about and having that exposure is really important. Yeah, I also, um, <clears throat> it, it it's not as negative as it sounds in many ways. I, I think that there's trends that are happening, not just... In music, and oh, no, you, you, Nico, you're saying I'm just negative. Thank you. Yes, for that's that. right. Really you're you're the only one that's negative. No, yeah, I, thank you. I, I, what I mean is, you know, the, in the music world, one of my frustrations, <laughs> and in the arts in general, is that we think that what we do is so magical and detached from everything that happens in the world, but it's not. I mean, we follow similar trends to anything else, and um, that we're very fatalistic about the future. But in reality, like what you're describing, Dave, is just that we are experiencing the same trends that for example, the field of economics is experiencing or I don't know about physics, but it's definitely like like fields that are in the world are experiencing, which is that we went through a period of specialization that went from like the 1920s until and it's still ongoing where each segment of different things stopped talking to itself. So like even within new music, there's so like the noise community does not really speak to Rebecca Saunders and Rebecca Saunders does not speak to uh, whoever. I don't mean literally, but but in conversation artistically and that's happened in every in almost every field uh, things got so specialized but we're entering in this world we're entering a, a moment where that has collapsed and things are communicating with with each other and what what ryan's describing and what you're describing is 
uh, yeah, if you're a student, you you better not be late to the game on this. You don't want to be winning your first job and they put something in front of you and you're like, oh, well, no, I don't do this. It's like, well, okay, buddy. <laughs> like, sorry to say to you that the London Symphony does this every month. It's it's not like, oh, this one-off piece and the kooky composer with it. No, that's, that's changed because the consumer has changed. We have the most eclectic group of consumers of music that, ha that has existed at least since the 1910s. And, and it, it's true for anyone on this call. Like, if you grab my playlist, it, it's completely bizarre. Like, how can you be listening to Salsa, but also Karlheinz Stockhausen, but also, I don't know, like 1980s rock? Like, why? This makes no sense to somebody from the 1990s or the early 2000s because we were so segmented, but that's over. The fact that well, especially in Especially the 80s rock because it's really crummy. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, you know, like, like the, I just feel like music schools and, and education just haven't received the call like everything with academia. The call always comes very late to academia, but the reality is the trends as a whole have changed. I mean, and, and we're so stupid. Like, just look at what YouTube videos from symphony orchestras get the most likes. It's not even the Beethoven. It's actually often new works, but it's not the new works you think. So we have all these segmented people teaching things in segmented ways when even their own students know that it's moved into a more... Uh, we're back in a world that's communicating with itself. The, these things ebb and flow, and, and Chosen Veil vale plays a part in, in, you know, waking the fuck up as... You know, <laughs> I mean, what I what I what I'll like very shortly add to that is, in no way, at least in my own experience, is this in conflict with absolutely beautiful, mind blowing playing as well. Too, that is something that is such an unbelievable given. Everywhere I go, I'm finding it's. I, I've learned my best to not take it for granted because there's such a fundament that as a trumpet player, as a musician, but again, just specifically as a trumpet player, um, if you are interested in the orchestral world, um, specifically the orchestral world that does quite a lot of classical music and maybe, maybe say not a new music ensemble, but a, a, a classical orchestra that has a diverse range of repertoire, it is absolutely mandatory that beautiful playing is the fundament of your playing. And yeah, we have a lot of other pieces of music nowadays that require extended techniques that are also played beautifully and are also played with accuracy and specificity um, when it comes to intonation, um, what intonation you're playing in, how accurate that actually has to be. And it's not just, I'm gonna try to do something around it and figure it out, no. You have to be just as serious about that as you are about your beautiful playing, which again, I'm I'm quite a terminal optimist when it comes to this stuff. Uh, I'm seeing it all over the place now, which is great. So um, I just think it's, yeah, it's, it's adding more crayons to the crayon box. Well, Ryan, can you give us some examples of some of the rep that you're bringing that's, um, that, that stretches the orchestra in that way? Yeah, um, there's this wonderful Swedish composer that I've been looking at a lot lately named Lisa Streich. Um, she's actually writing a trumpet concerto right now that's going to be premiered in April by another chosen veiler, strangely enough, Luca, uh, Luca Lipari Meye, um, with my orchestra in Stockholm, which is great, but she has written for Marco Blau in the past. Um, 
there's a big choreographic element in her music and it's not just for um, a soloist, it's for the entire orchestra. Um, it's for the conductor as well, which I can't tell you how much has made me sweat, honestly, because not only you just have to make sure your arms are in the right places at the right time in order to get a very specific effect, but it's also aerobics at the same time. So for me, it could be quite, quite tricky. Um, Messian is common day, Boulez is common day, um, pretty much most places that I go, Ligeti is common day. Um, I'm, I'm noticing the actually in a, in a very positive way, the major trend that I'm seeing with pretty much every orchestra that I go to is new music takes a lot less time to rehearse than it used to. Um, people come prepared, people come um, with their own questions as well about the music. And I'm finding the older music is the music that needs more rehearsal time, actually, because it's not really about copy and pasting. It really is about making something special every single time. It sounds cliche, but it's no matter what country I'm in, it's seeming like that's a common thread, actually. Um, and yes, in principle, things do need time. And David mentioned this, this marinating aspect, which I totally agree with um, always. But I, but I am finding with music that when I'm studying it and think, God, this is going to be really, really unbelievably difficult. I was looking at some scores the other day thinking, my gosh, how much time am I going to need? Um, I'm finding when I show up someplace with something that is incredibly difficult, it kind of just happens. And then you rehearse it like any other piece. Actually, you rehearse the details, you figure it out, you come with a plan. Everyone else is coming with a plan as well, too. And thankfully, I'm not seeing backlash or anything like that. It's um, it takes a lot to shock people nowadays. I'm finding. No, I would agree, and I've noticed. I noticed that in in you know being in the orchestra for decades was when I first got there. Any new piece that came up, even if it wasn't very hard, there was yeah. there was a contingent in the orchestra that would be pushing back at doing that because it wasn't just another Tchaikovsky symphony. Um, and now people are they're fine with whatever's on the stand. Um, and I'm not suggesting that it takes a lot of. Um, a lot of time to get north to south clean in a score, but actually to bring, you know, depth to it beyond it being together and in tune with a good, you know, in time, good sound, you know, like start and end together, every, details line up, but more than that, you know, bringing the kind of point of view that you would want to bring to a Beethoven symphony to bring that to, to a piece of new music as well, something where it's more than just a literal reading. Absolutely. For me, there's certain movements of new music uh, that I don't enjoy. Some I really do, but let, let's say I don't actually enjoy the Fluxes movement tremendously much after a single concert. However, being immersed in that kind of music opens your eyes to other things. Like, it informs my listening of Mahler to have played a couple of Pauline Oliveros games in a way that's really transcendental. And I think preparing... Uh, and this maybe I got this from... Stevens, and maybe I got this in part from Hokan and definitely in part from Ed, but preparing these serious pieces uh, that are hard in our repertoire, they're not even new anymore, but hard, like preparing a Barrio Sequenza, it informs the way you approach a, an orchestra audition to some degree. Um, I remember my friend CJ Camareri, who went to Lake Placid and who plays with a lot of pop stars, 
he told me the moment he realized like that he wanted to do something else was one day he looked down at like uh, some excerpt and he said, man, don't I want to like learn something fucking harder? And it wasn't just about the difficulty. I think he meant it musically. And for me, going back after learning a big piece like that, that gives you so much in return and probably pianists feel, these, feel, this, feel this way if they like go through all the nocturnes uh, from Chopin or something like that. But for us, we don't ha I mean what the hell is the Carnival of Venice going to inform me if I have to play a Mahler symphony? It just can't, other than, like, great tonguing, congratulations. But on the other hand, you can do something like The Death of an Eagle, and there's depth in that music that actually can inform, you know, Rosen Cavalier or something like that, you know? And since that's laughing, I'll, I remember, uh, I'll just say this about Steven. Steven said congratulations on playing five variations on a theme nobody liked in the first place. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because Mark, we keep coming back to Mark. Mark used to call Death of an Eagle an, an, an eagle shits at midnight. Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess we should probably start closing off. So I, I don't know. I guess what would be cool is if we... Go around and share one thing that either we took away from Chosen Veil that stays with us very presently, and that's why we pick one, or one moment that exemplifies why the seminar is so special. I, I'll start since it, since you know I have so many, but the one that that I I go to the most about why Chosen Veil is special, and a lot of them are tied to, to Hokan and Stevens, but Stevens and I were standing outside at class once. Uh, and I think it was Hokan's class. And everyone in Hokan's class usually just used to play the hardest stuff or or things that are hard to do. And somebody was playing the Descent Clo. I think it was Sabi. And he did an insane job of what's hardest in that piece beyond the notes, which is connecting musically the three movements. And he did it in such a beautiful way that it sounded like a coherent piece. And Stevens was sitting outside and he just said, man, they, they would have loved this. And I was like, well, who's they? <laughs> And he said Gitala and Schlossberg and Magier, they would have given their arm to be here, to just be able to witness this. They would not have believed it. And that to me always stuck because we take for granted how far things have come thanks to seminars like this and thanks to the work of Stevens and, and Marco and Hokan and of course you for putting the seminar together. But that, that has always stuck with me, that not to take for granted the amount of repertoire we have and to decide that just because they played Boza, that's what we need to do also. All right, who's next? One of my most memorable moments was brought by Hokan and Ryan. Ryan, I don't know if you remember this, but you were playing the Zimmermann concerto and there's that huge passage. It's about halfway through the score, maybe 40% of the score, that is getting higher and higher and more intense and more intense and more intense, more intense. And you played it brilliantly. And the audience, all of us in the audience, um, just erupted in applause and we stopped the piece. And then Hokan said, well, okay, now we're stopped, so let's let's talk about this passage and he said i think there are ways to make it even more intense and he put one on top of you that was 
astonishing. And then you, because you were a kid from Los Angeles and didn't know better, <laughs> said, oh, you mean like this? And you put one on top of Hokan, which was unbelievable. And then Hokan had the, the bit between his teeth and said, no, more like this, and put one on top of you, and you went down on your knees and bowed down to him. That was just a great moment in my, my experiencing those classes. It's quite an emotional thing, th thinking about that, that night, actually. In many ways, I, I felt... Um, as a musician, uh, I, I always had my, my own difficulties with the trumpet, feeling that I, I don't know if this is it for me. I, I, I don't know if it's it. And I remember that night feeling, I think I did something well. And I, and I, and I, and I, I feel connection with the people here, which was vastly the most important thing to me. And as a trumpet player, that that's something that really that really sticks with me. I also remember how exhausted I was that night as well, very specifically. Um, I've never seen a man sweat that much. Yeah. And I've seen that video of Lindbergh sweat through a suit. <laughs> but um, I would say actually, funnily enough, my some of my favorite memories are, I'm not sure if it's allowed anymore, but going swimming in the lake <laughs> and um, and washing dishes and um and like on a very nerdy side um not going to the yoga classes in the morning and sleeping in one extra hour and then slowly listening to people starting to play trumpet in in the morning that that easily is my probably my they i have so many memories though i mean playing for cassone was a huge one for me. Um, meeting Rebecca, sorry, I'm giving several now. Reading, re meeting Rebecca for the first time, asking her if she can, if she could accompany me on a piece, and she said, "I don't accompany. I play with you." And I've never called a pianist and accompanist again after that. <laughs> um, yeah, just so many beautiful memories. Actually, really beautiful memories. Um, the one moment uh that kind of and now kind of thinking you know uh you know in, in retrospect thinking back on it um and it was a really it was just a moment that really changed a lot um for me is it was i i believe after the first time i played uh, i can't breathe and um after after the concert uh steve burns came up to me gave me a big hug and said you know almost with like tears in his eyes he said thank you, like genuinely thanking me for playing this piece. And in that moment, things just kind of crystallized as to what actually was happening on that stage. Of course, because I had played, I had played the first time I played it, um, I played it in Lithuania, actually. And it was, uh, it was, it was for my master's recital for, for the, the Sibelius Academy, but I was doing it, you know, remotely in, in, in my home uh, of, of Vilnius. And so I was playing it for some local Lithuanians who really had no frame of reference for what this piece of music meant um, and, and, and what, what, why it, it existed in the first place. 
And so I played it through and people were, you know, it's this crazy microtonal stuff and all this stuff and people, you know, okay, then they clapped and that was it. Um, you know, but I had chosen it because of this deep meaning and what it had, you know, what, what I, I felt I could speak through it and in, 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 in speaking its existence into the world, what we could do with that. Uh, but then, you know, it kind of fell flat on, on those years. And then when I chose to play it uh, here, um, I knew that, okay, now I'm going to have a more receptive audience. And then I'm like, okay, now it's Chosenville and I was drilling really hard, all this stuff, the microtones, all this stuff. And it's, you know, 14 minutes of just this intense stuff. And I had kind of forgotten to look past, I guess, this kind of immediate bubble. And I'm like, okay, yeah, now these people are going to hear it. I'm going to, you know, give, give it some context beforehand to the audience, you know, because it's important. This piece needs the context. But I was still in this bubble. And then when, when Burns, you know, gave me that hug and said, thank you, which such, uh, you know, in such a genuine way, everything fell kind of, the walls kind of fell down. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like, this is far beyond me, far beyond this room. This is, this is why we do it. This matters. And this is why I'm here. And this is why I'm coming back and back and back. Um, because yeah, because what we do matters. It's not just, you know, you know, blowing through metal tubes. It's, it's reaching uh, far beyond um, ourselves and, and those who are, you know, in the immediate vicinity. So that was two words, but those really, really made an impression. One moment for me that really sticks out as exemplifying what I think are, are two of the big things about Chosen Veil that community um, and camaraderie and what Ed mentioned earlier, having permission to do anything, um, uh, is sitting out on the back porch. Uh, it's probably 2 a.m., right? Uh, with Dovas and others, there's maybe five of us just talking about whatever, you know, it was a fluid conversation, music, art, life. Um, we did it almost every night, so, you know, things, topics varied widely. Um, but just being able to sit out there, feeling connected to other people in this really um, supportive way and talking about possibilities, all of these things that we could do. There was no idea of, well, we can't do that. That's not what we're gonna do. Anything is fair game and we had the, the skills and the energy and the inspiration to do it. I had a couple of students, um, one from Curtis and one from a Northwestern um, at the at, at CV last summer. And um, one of them was very outgoing, Franz. Uh, he actually played um, the Jolivet Second Concerto on uh, the first Saturday night recital. And I've never seen him nervous like that in my life. <laughs> he, um, uh, should I play? He was just like beside himself, and then he just walked out there and played the crap out of it. It was like, okay, that's it's cool, dude. You're you're uh, you're 19 now, <laughs> and you're doing that. Uh, have fun with that, you know. Um, but my other student, uh, who was uh, had just finished his first year at Northwestern, super talented kid, Will. He. Um, after like the first couple of days, I was like, I haven't seen, why are you coming to my class? Uh, you should be at other classes. 
and why haven't you played in my class? And he's like, well, you know, there's so many good players here and I'm just listening. And I said, no, you're here to play. So then a couple of days later, I went, who did you play for? And it was like, nobody, <laughs> he still hadn't, right? And then by the second week, he's, you know, once I left, he started coming out of his shell and started playing. And then um, from what I hear, played the, the um, the loudest boats are rustic in the history of, of trumpet. As it should uh, be. <laughs> because that's uh, sort of what he does. But um, but just seeing his personal journey through um, hearing, you know, being exposed to folks and hearing the level and going, oh my, do I belong here? To realizing I actually have something to say. That was um, seeing that journey for him. He just did uh, the Shane Concerto this uh, this past week in studio class at Northwestern, and it was some of the quietest playing I've ever heard him do. In fact, some of the quietest playing of the year in the studio. So he's learned so much from the experience of hearing others, you know, with, with voices. St Ed, do you remember if it was Stevens or Mark Gould or you that said that... Uh... Boza was not a real composer. It was just a drawer in the Paris Conservatory where they put all the music that sounded like that. I, it wasn't me. Um, <laughs> and actually, I can confirm it wasn't for me because that performance of Rustique was in my master class. Um, so that's that. But certainly not. I mean, do we know any Boza symphonies or ballets or operas or, you know, chamber music for that point. He was a theorist that wrote for matriculation, you know, for entrance into the conservatoire and then, you know. And the, and the etude book. Don't forget the etude book. Okay. Yeah, it actually has one that goes. That's really, uh. Wow, everyone's going to want to come to Chosendale yeah. now. <laughs> I, I would like to close it off with just say, first of all, thanking all of you to, for, for doing this. And also Dave and, and Ryan, who are going to be there. I'm very excited that you're both back this summer. Um, so if you want to get to meet these guys better, you can do that uh, this summer at Chosenvale. And I guess the last thing I, I would I would say is like, I, I would like to know from Dave and, and Ryan, since we've heard so much like who should go there and et cetera, like, why would you be interested in joining a faculty for this? Considering what this is, and it's not, you're not staying at a great hotel, and it's not one hour a day. I mean, it's a full experience. You're there for a whole week. Uh, you're involved in people's lives that whole week, which is, you know, some people don't like that. Why Why come to Chosenville as a faculty? What is it that, that makes it special as a faculty member? Oh, it's people, dude. It's just people. I mean, right? Meeting in, uh, incredible um, new faculty members, as strange as it was, I had never spent any time with Craig Morris before, and we were both there this past summer. I couldn't <clears throat> believe that our, our, our lives hadn't, hadn't crossed paths until, until then um, in any meaningful way, and we got to spend some, some good time together. But it's meeting, meeting students, meeting the participants, meeting the professionals who come, you know, and bring bring in uh, you know incredible points of view having these dialogues having having a chance to just sit down and talk about everything over a tasty beverage you know it's just it's just amazing it's just um you know when when ed sent me the email saying 
hey, would you like to come back again this summer? How long did it take for me to reply to that, Ed? It was like four minutes, I think, about four minutes. Yeah, it was instantaneous. Yeah, I mean, of course I want to come back and be a part of this. It just, um, it's exciting. It helps helps everyone grow. And being a part of a community, it's, it's what life is about. Life is about being with people and being around people. And um, my, one of my favorite quotes is by Sidney Poitier, who passed away last year. And he said, um, when, the, when he was asked why he stopped acting, he said, um, it's uh, because the most important commodity I own is time, and I don't want to spend it doing what I've done before. And at Chosen Vale, you're not spending any time doing what you've done before. Everything's new. It's a new point of view, a new perspective, new people, new repertoire, old repertoire in a new way. It's just all exciting and new. And if I can interrupt, Dave, uh, I don't believe that you've met Ryan before. No. And so, you know, you'll be spending some time there and then also with Posse Pirinen. Um, oh, terrific. And I don't know if you've spent any time with Posse. No, I, I don't know Posse at all. I mean, I've been wanting to meet him. but Yeah, well, I, I know him a bit and I'm delighted like this, but I'm particularly happy seeing Dovey's smiling face right now. Um, because of course he did his his second degree up up at Sibelius and yeah. Now on the downside, you're going to be there, right, Ed? Yeah, I know. I, I throw a wet blanket you know, of confusion oh well, you over know. everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all feel the same way, yeah. Dave. And Ryan, what about you? I mean, you're not a trumpet player anymore, as you did not cease to tell us through this call conversation. Thank you. Why are you coming to a trumpet seminar as a faculty member and what are you most excited about? From a, I guess from a nostalgic point, point of view, um, those were three very happy summers in my life. They were three summers that I learned a lot and met friends that I speak with weekly still, um, if not daily. Um, I feel that I have a lot to learn there as well. And for me, just to be able to go back in a different capacity doesn't mean I'm going to be learning any less, of course. It's it's going to be the complete opposite. I'm going to hear, I guarantee I'm going to hear twice as mind-blowing stuff as I, as I had when I was there all that time ago. And I remember when I was there the last time, I thought, this can't get any better. People can't play even better and more meaningfully and and nails hard as well too um so i'm looking forward to having my own mind blown yet again um but also it really is a magical place it's a place where people come together and are enthusiastic and um it's it's like the first summer camp you go to in a way except we're all adults for the most part and um and the food and and it, I don't know it's 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 everything I, I I wish I could distill it into something very 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 specific, um, but also if Ed tells me to do something I usually just do it so, <laughs> um, <laughs> and gladly and gladly so but but on on a non joking side I'm I'm happy to come back to learn and to really just have a great time again because it's it's pretty much guaranteed. And Ed, after 12-ish, whatever, 12, 15 years, what are we at with Chosen Veil? 18. 18 years. After 18 years, what are you most excited about 
this year and into the future with Chosenville? We know why you go back. You have to. What I'm most exciting about, excited about, I, I honestly haven't thought that through. Um, I'm simply excited that, you know, we're able to present it again and that we're still in there pitching. I get a kick out of it. Now, this is has nothing to do with the topic at the moment. I have a kick that it's been the launching pad, or at least, no, not the launching pad, but, you know, a factor in the life of subconductors. Um, Leonardo Cini, who um, Ryan later went to school with in Amsterdam, I believe, um, is having a huge career in, in Europe as an opera conductor. And he was with us at Chosenvale one time. You'll meet this summer um, Ulysse Derriam, a student of mine at Bard, um, who's also in going to be in the conducting class at Aspen, um, but he's taking three weeks in Europe studying with Yorma Panua um, in his private conducting class because that's sort of where his mind is developing right now. And I like it that, you know, we haven't only, you know, been amongst trumpeters of distinction, but, you know, also musical thinkers of distinction. And So, Ed, you're saying you, you, you get people to quit playing the trumpet? Is that Yeah, is that yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm, I'm great <laughs> at ruining people's trumpet careers. Um, <laughs> Worst things could happen. But boy, I've 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 been I've been around the beginnings of, you know, their proto conducting careers, and I'm equally uh, excited about that. Um, yeah, I'm just glad to see everybody. You know, we're old friends, and Dave, you and I go back very far, and everyone on the the faculty and I have some sort of connection at different points in our life. And I'm always happy to re rekindle our relationships, but in that particular spot, because I think it's, it's such a rich environment to have musical connections grow. All right, well guys, this was great. It was nice meeting the two of you. And for anyone listening that you know, if this sounds good to you, I would also say, and not just to plug myself, uh, the, this podcast really is the Chosenville extended family uh, in many ways. Many, most of the faculty that that have been there for many years have been guests at some point. So just look through the quote unquote archives. And the ones that haven't are people that kind of subscribe to a lot of the thinking that, that you've heard in this um, conversation. So look forward to seeing whoever's there this summer. Apply early. And anything else, Ed, that's important for people applying? Um, find our webpage, which is chosenvale.org. Um, or I think we're all pre pretty easily found publicly. So Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Get out of here. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. So thus endeth the weekly podcast. Hey, guys, thank you. 
thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're honored to be here.